welcome and good morning. Um, I don't know where you stand on the whole celebration timeline. Um, I just, I've heard the ruffling of feathers, you probably have too, of when is too soon to start the celebration. Uh, I, I'm getting a little bit of feedback, sorry, I don't know if that's my mic. Um, but whatever the reason is, people get in a huff about when it's okay to shift into the Christmas mode. And I'm just curious about our makeup here today. Um, so I want to just see a show of hands of when you think it's okay to set up the tree, turn on the lights, get into holiday mode. So who is the mid-October crowd, like pre-Halloween? There we go! <laughs> we got the doves, we got Tim, I love it. Okay, who says November 1st is when it's okay? Halloween has passed, you can jump into the Christmas spirit now. Anyone? Anyone? Okay, we've got the, the island, <laughs> the mid-Octobers, and then, okay, how about Thanksgiving, uh, day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, that is the official, okay, the majority of people are on board with Black Friday being the transition, and who says December 1st, well, there we go, Sweesome is holding strong, <laughs> so good, uh, I don't know what it is for me, but this year has been one of the years earlier than ever before. I've had this drive and desire to get in the Christmas spirit. So this year I was with the Duffs and Tim. I was mid-October. Uh, we didn't set up everything yet, but I had my record player going on Vince Guaraldi trio, the Charlie Brown Christmas album. Uh, and uh, Lauren Daigle, she has an album, I think it's called Behold like a jazz Christmas, so good. So I've been playing those on repeat like since October, uh, but I have flipped the switch, and I think no matter when your timeline is, we are all on the same page. We are now okay to jump into Christmas, right? So today at Overflow, we are officially jumping into the Christmas season, uh, and we're walking through this season with a practice called Advent. Uh, now, the practice of Advent is not in the Bible, right? It's not something that we're commanded to do as followers of Jesus. There's no mandate saying that we must light the candles and that we must celebrate these certain character traits. But I do think there's, there's some real benefits that come with that. So as we go into this season, we're going to just slow ourselves. We're going to pause each week and consider these characteristics that come from someone who's been changed by Jesus. And we're going to see hope. We're going to see joy. We're going to see peace. Because we missed last week, we're skipping love. But I figure we're overflowing with love all the time. So we'll just incorporate that each week. Um, but as we slow ourselves, I want us just to intentionally consider the importance of Jesus coming to us as Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And as we take these next few weeks leading up into Christmas, we're going to connect a particular Christmas carol with our message. Uh, this week, as we sang earlier, we're leaning into the message of come thou long expected Jesus. And in that song, there's, there's such a message of hope, uh, both the, the hope that led up to Jesus' birth and hope of his return. And I want us to sit in that hope. 
that though we are on the other side of Jesus' birth, we still have that longing. We still have that hope that one day when he will return for his people. And we, we excitedly, expectantly wait. So in that song, as I said, there's this message of hope. And that is our, our theme for the day. Um, hope is such a powerful thing. And our world can feel so utterly hopeless at times. I know personally I've spoken with more people in the past two years than ever before who are in just a state of hopelessness. And in the midst of the pandemic, there were so many people who lived in a state of ongoing fear and the isolation that we experienced added to that. But on top of that, there are also many concerns in our lives right now. Just the state of the world, personal concerns, like what Elon Musk is going to do next. I mean, <laughs> there are concerns of what's happening in the world. But Jesus came to be our hope, to be our hope in the flesh. And he came to lift our eyes from the sorrows of this world and to show us a better way. He came to rescue us from the pain, to deliver us from the terror, and to provide for us in our need. And this concept of hope, it really provides a beautiful foundation for our new series that we're starting up today. Uh, we're calling this series The Gospel According to Luke, uh, and we're studying, get this, the Gospel of Luke. I know, mind blown, right? Uh, but the book of Luke, it takes us through much of Jesus' life and ministry, and we're going to be in this book from now through Easter. Uh, we're going to do a, a long flyover of the book. We could certainly spend years and years going through verse after verse, but we're going to do kind of a a shorter flyover of the book. But uh, part of the reason I wanted to go through the book of Luke now is because I want to remind us that the cradle and the cross are not divorced from one another. Uh, they are one uniform story telling God's plan of redemption. That Jesus is not different. The, the Jesus in the cradle is not different than the Jesus on the cross. We, we worship one God who had one plan to bring redemption to his people. And that purpose, that mission that led Jesus to come into this world and to be born is the same purpose and mission that led him to the cross. And that same purpose and mission, it led him to send out his followers in such a way that they could then in turn carry on that purpose and mission in the world placed them. Now, as I'm sure you know, or at least you've heard, our mission at Overflow Church is we're saturating our community with the overflowing love of Jesus. But I'll let you in on a little secret. It's really just a way for us to rephrase what Jesus had already told us to do, right? Uh, sorry if that's a disappointment, but this is Jesus' message from long, long ago to go and make disciples. And we're framing it in such a way that we're seeing transformation personally and in our community. But this is his message. We want to train up and send out because we want to see a lasting kingdom impact. But again, it's really just making practical, measurable goals that are driven by Jesus' purpose and mission. So today, we're going to be focusing on the broad picture of Luke's gospel account. 
Uh, in particular, we're going to examine his purpose and his direction in writing. Um, because sometimes I think we miss the fact that there was a purpose or intent behind the different scripture authors, right? Uh, it was the Holy Spirit inspiring them, so it is one message. It is consistent. It is inspired by God. But he used people, people with identity, people with perspectives. And as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see his perspective in particular that the Holy Spirit is using and inspiring. So we're going to look at Luke's intent behind his gospel. Um, because as we understand his intent, we can better understand how all of this fits together into God's big picture. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And this says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So did you catch Luke's purpose or his desire there? He said, so that you may know. This was Luke's purpose in writing this gospel. He's writing to someone named Theophilus, which means lover of God. And, and some have assumed that this is a broad title to everyone who is a lover of God. I believe that it's a, a specific person, but Luke's also writing with this in mind that it's going to be read by others besides Theophilus. So we're seeing his letter to Theophilus, but he's writing with a broad picture as well. Um, so the work, it's written with a perspective of giving a clear and orderly account of all the events that were fulfilled among these people so that Theophilus can believe with certainty. But as we consider Luke's purpose of writing, there's also one pretty large factor that we sometimes are tempted to overlook. We're tempted to overlook that Luke also wrote a second narrative, the book of Acts. And again, Luke details his purpose of writing about the acts of the apostles, although it's not quite as plain and forthright as he was in the gospel. So let's look at Acts 1, 1 through 3. Luke writes here, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we see that both letters are written to the same person, to Theophilus. We also learn that there's a connection, there's a, a continuation between Luke and Acts. But the purpose of Acts, as I said, isn't quite as explicit as he was in Luke's gospel. So to uncover Luke's purpose in writing Acts, we need to look at the bookends, the beginning and the end of the letter of Acts. Uh, this is where we find our clue. Um, so as we look, let's jump to Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. 
Luke records of Paul. He says, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So what did Luke record both Jesus and Paul teaching about in the bookings of Acts? It's the kingdom. He says, Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God in Acts 1. In Acts 28, Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God. You see, Acts was written about the expansion of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we think it's about the story of the church unfolding, but the church's purpose is to expand the kingdom of God. That is why we're here. That is why Luke wrote this message. So Luke's purpose in writing Acts is to describe the expansion of the kingdom of God. And my purpose in this series is following right along those two purposes of Luke. First, that we would have certainty. And second, that we would join the mission. That we would have certainty of who Jesus is, what he has done, and that we would join the mission boldly going out as Jesus did, as his disciples did, as Paul did, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, if you were with us last time, uh, we went through our vision frame, and you may remember along the bottom, there were four icons that described the growth of a Jesus follower. Uh, And because we're overflow, it's all water-related. We have the rain cloud, the full cup, the water cooler, and the waterfall. And each of these are showing how we grow in our walk with Jesus. The rain cloud is showing that we have received the word. Uh, When we come in gathered worship each week, you hear, you sing, you receive the word of God. So we know is the key word for that. With the filling water glass, uh, as we're receiving, we're retaining, we're learning, we're memorizing, we're setting our hearts on the word, and the key word there is grow. With the water cooler, uh, it's now not just filling our own cup, but it's filling the cups of others. So the, the word there is show, that we are giving of what we have received. And finally, the waterfall is a picture of going, that we are sent out to share the good news with others. So as we look at these icons, um, I want to show that the purpose of this series ties into our plan to grow as followers of Jesus. Um, My purpose is to see us develop uh, each and every week. So as we continue through this series, I want to see us have certainty, which is both knowing and growing. As we see in the scripture what Jesus has done, who he is, that we would grow in our knowledge and that we would be filled with the, the encouragement and the challenge of living like him. And then joining the mission is following the example of showing and going, that we are living in such a way that we're telling the world who Jesus is and what he has done in our life. So uh, today we're going to examine the purpose and direction of Luke's gospel. And next week we'll begin jumping into the narrative leading up to Jesus' birth. So once more, here are the four verses that we'll be considering. 
Uh, this is Luke 1, 1 through 4. And Luke says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word uh, handed them down to us, so it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So here are a few considerations from Luke's words here. Uh, what we read in the book of Luke is not necessarily a biography. Uh, sometimes we, we look at the Gospels and we think this is a biography. This is telling the story of Jesus' life. And in part it is, in part. Uh, but as you consider a biography, uh, most biographies, their purpose is to uncover every detail about the person's life, right? As we look at the life of Jesus, we're seeing between 50 and 60 days of his life recorded in the scriptures, uh, which is beautiful. It's impactful. It shapes our lives, but it's not showing us every detail of his life. As you know, through the gospel of Luke, we see just a snippet in his birth. We see a, a short phase of him as a, a young boy. And then we see his adulthood in his public ministry. So the gospel narrative is not attempting to uncover every part of his life. Instead, uh, I believe Luke's gospel is what we would consider a historical narrative. Uh, their job, a historical narrative, intends to communicate specific events with clarity and accuracy in order to advance an intended purpose. So in this case, the mission is expanding the kingdom. That is Luke's purpose. He's wanting to show who Jesus is and how the kingdom is expanding. Now Luke also says that he's not the first to write such a narrative, and it's not his desire to undercut or discredit anything that had been written. Instead, Luke is aiming to complement, to add elements that strengthen what had already been written by focusing on creating this large, orderly framework. And that's exactly what he does. Uh, Luke's gospel is the longest book in the New Testament, followed closely behind by his second book, Acts. Uh, and I was just digging, just trying to uncover what it cost Luke to produce these works. Uh, just on my own, I was trying to figure out what it might have cost him because we, we take it for granted. We can write something on our computer and print it and it costs us seven cents a page, right? Uh, in these days, to create a work, especially a work like this, is a massive time-consuming production. And between both Luke and Acts, we see a cost of nearly $40,000 for Luke to produce these two works, which just staggers uh, my mind. It's so much more than I would have expected. Uh, but he believes it's worth it because he wants us to understand, to know with certainty who Jesus is and to join the mission. So, in this mega narrative between Luke and Acts, there is one unified purpose, and I want us to hold on to this tightly. Uh, the purpose between Luke and Acts, one commentator says, 
is to bring salvation in all of its fullness to all people. To bring salvation in all of its fullness to all people. So let's take a look at the big picture narrative that's going on between the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, We're going to do a super high flyover of these two books, and we'll see Luke's purpose in writing as he progresses throughout. So remember, his purpose is to bring salvation in all of its fullness to all people. So let's let's see that unfold. Uh, Beginning in Luke 1, 5, we see the purpose anticipated. And in this passage, uh, the people, they've been waiting for God to rescue them for generations. Uh, 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and where Luke picks up. And in this period... The people have been waiting, they've been yearning, they've been longing for the Lord to move. But across these generations, there's just been silence. And we see the first miracles that the nation of Israel has seen in 400 years in the beginning of the book of Luke. And as he highlights these, it's like he's restoring hope for the people. You know, God isn't done with his plan. He hasn't stopped loving his people. And sometimes in those silent moments, there's a tension that we live in. Do we continue hoping? Do we anticipate believing that God is who he says he is? Or are we just going to throw up our hands and say, maybe I got it wrong. And we see here Luke telling the people, God keeps his word. When we anticipate that he will bring salvation when he says, he will deliver upon his promises. So here he provides the first miracles the people had seen in 400 years. And in doing so, he's restoring hope in the people. God isn't done. He hasn't forgotten about them. He is still with them and still has a purpose for them that he will accomplish. So following that anticipation, we see the purpose made possible. This is in Luke chapter 2, where we see the birth of Jesus, the promised Messiah, and we see him growing and living in such a way that really leaves us holding our breath and thinking, could it be? Could this be the one that we've been waiting for? And we see beyond that, The purpose made probable. This covers the rest of the book of Luke and the beginning of Acts. Here in the purpose made probable, this section communicates that Jesus has done his work, that salvation has come. But remember, that's not the entire purpose between Luke and Acts. It's that salvation would be made possible to all people. So Jesus has brought, he has delivered salvation. And now it's up to his disciples to take the message, to carry out the second part of this mission. Not only is it possible, but now the good news can be brought to all people. Because in Acts 1, Jesus leaves his disciples with a command. He says, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And following that, we see the purpose realized. 
this is where they do. They follow his commands. They take the gospel to the nations. And in doing so, we see salvation after salvation. We see life after life changed. We see community after community transformed. We see the gospel unfolding in the world around us. And then in Acts 16 through 28, we see the results of that. As the kingdom is expanded, the nations respond and the disciples replicate themselves so that more and more followers of Jesus can take up their mission as their own and begin taking the good news of salvation to all those that they encounter, both at home and abroad. So taking this grand narrative into account, as we read Luke's introduction one more time, let's consider how Luke's message is really speaking of both Jesus' life and the early church's engagement in gospel expansion. Luke says one more time, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So through Jesus' life and commissioning of the church, Luke reveals the Lord's heart for the people who are walking in darkness. That is the broad purpose and direction of Luke's writing throughout both Luke's gospel and the letter of Acts, describing how God is bringing hope to the hopeless. So, as we come into our final few minutes today, I want to consider how Jesus brings the hope that we so desperately need. At the time of Jesus' coming, as I mentioned earlier, the people had experienced 400 years without any sign from God. And before that, after the Israelites had returned from the captivity in Babylon, they came back to Jerusalem with high hopes of how they were going to rebuild the temple and how the Lord would lead them to become this great people who would influence the land. They would have no rulers over them other than God. But those who returned to Jerusalem were just as wicked and unjust as their ancestors were. So in the final words of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi declares that one day, God will send a new Moses and a new Elijah. But after this declaration, the people had to wait 400 years until God determined that it was exactly the right moment to break the silence and bring the hope. So for you and me today, what can we learn about being people of hope? From God's purpose and design that we saw throughout Luke's narrative, I, I think we can benefit from three simple practices. Uh, each of these is centered around our decision to trust God because hope is not so much centered on the object that we hope for, but in the subject in whom we place our hope. Our hope is in God. It's not our circumstances. So each of these is rooted in our trust of God. First, we trust that God's design is better than our desires. I find myself saying this often, but I could not write the story that I'm living. 
Uh, There have been so many twists and turns. There have been so many unexpected celebrations and moments of utter heartache. But through it all, God has brought us to this point where we stand today. And you may have desires that might have taken you in other directions, but let me tell you, do not allow yourself to play the what-if game. What if things had been different? What if I had gone down this road or made this choice? Because that, that will lead you to a dark place of discontentment. And many who have walked that path discover the hard way that what they had was really so much better than what they had previously had. God has brought you to this place, and he is with you in this moment. You may feel like you're in a silent time, where you're praying, you're crying out, and you have not heard him respond, but he is with you. Second, trust that God's timing is what we would want. This is a hard one, friends. I mean, the Israelites in Malachi's day, they probably would have preferred to see the Messiah come in their day. But that would not have served God's greater purpose of bringing salvation in all of its fullness to all people. If Jesus had come at that point, the Roman roads wouldn't have been built yet, uh, so the word wouldn't have traveled as quickly as it did when Jesus came. It might not have even made it to certain provinces in Europe or Asia as it did when Jesus came at the appointed time. Similarly, uh, prior to Jesus' birth, uh, the world's population had grown fairly slowly. Uh, I was looking at a study, and the Population Reference Bureau estimates that the number of people who have ever lived on this planet is about 105 billion people. And only 2% of those people were born prior to Jesus coming. Only 2% of the entire population lived before Jesus came. But, as one researcher says, God's timing couldn't have been more perfect. Christ showed up just before the exponential explosion in the world's population. So you and I, we may have a preferred timeline. We may have hoped that Jesus would work in a certain way at a certain moment in our lives. And when he didn't, we may think, God, did you even care? Did you hear my prayer? But we can trust that God's timing is what we would want. If we could see the fuller picture, we would see that God is good, that he is still worthy of our praise. Even when in our limited perspective, we say, do you understand? (laughs) He does. He does. Third and finally, we entrust that God can handle our feelings of disappointment. Sometimes I, I I think we feel like we're expected to constantly put on a happy face and pretend like we're okay whenever circumstances are tough. I know and I believe James' words when he says, consider it a great joy when you encounter various trials. But I, I also believe that God doesn't expect us to flip a switch 
and be okay with all of our circumstances. He's given us emotions. He's given us the ability to think and question. But even in those dark moments, we can remember who is with us as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. in trying to I believe that he wants to know what we're feeling from our mouths in our hearts in our prayers that he's with us that God can handle our feelings of disappointment and I would encourage you that in those times of disappointment that you go to God with those thoughts go to him with the, with your feelings don't run from him Instead, tell him how you feel and ask him to join you, to show you even why he's allowing you to face those hardships. And may he reveal it to you. He may not, but remember, he is a good father. He's not a tyrant. He is a good father who has a good plan. And he's worthy of our hope and worthy of our trust. So as we've kicked off our first Sunday of Advent, let me encourage you to live as people of hope, knowing that God has a purpose and a direction and that we can trust him in any and every circumstance we face. And I'll just say, we know that God is with us. We, as Overflow Church, are also with you. You're not in these troubles alone. And I want you to know that any circumstance you're facing we want to be with you in them. We're brothers and sisters. So please don't hesitate to share what you're walking through. But let's just take a moment and pray, trusting that the Lord will continue to show us his goodness and that he is worthy of our putting our trust in him. Father, I thank you. I thank you that as we come into this season of Advent, that we do wait, we do yearn for your return. We don't understand all of the circumstances that we walk through, but we know that you are good. We've seen it time and time again. And Father, I pray that yet again, you would show yourself as the sovereign one, the all-powerful one, the loving Father. And as we hope, remind us of your strength. Father, I ask that we as your people would be known as people of hope. And I pray that as we trust in you, you would lead us and shape us. Help us to be transformed Help us to be saturated. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.